I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services, America's first knowledge management nonprofit. This program, Because You Need to Know, is part of our mission to educate and bring awareness around knowledge management. Stan Garfield is a knowledge management author, speaker, and community leader based in Northville, Michigan. He has worked in the field of knowledge management for over 20 years. Stan spent eight years at Deloitte leading communities and enterprise social networking. Prior to that, he spent 25 years at HP, Compaq, and Digital Equipment Corporation. Stan launched Digital's first knowledge management program in 1996, helped develop the corporate KM strategy for Compaq, and led the worldwide consulting and integration knowledge management program for HP. He also worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers, St. Louis, University School of Medicine, and Washington University School of Medicine. Stan holds a BS in Applied Mathematics and Computer Science from Washington University at St. Louis. He leads the SIKM Leaders Community with over 600 members globally. That's System Integration Knowledge Management Leaders, and is invited to present at numerous conferences, including KM World. Stan has published over 100 LinkedIn articles on leadership, innovation, knowledge management, communities of practice, enterprise social networks, and social media. So what exactly is knowledge management, Stan? Well, that's something that people like to spend a lot of time discussing and debating, but I'm not sure it's terribly helpful. I've generally (laughs) talked about it as being a discipline that's both an art and a science, so it's the art of transforming the intellectual assets of an organization so that it benefits its people, its customers, its stakeholders. And the idea is that you reuse what one part of an organization knows in another organization, another part of the organization. Right. You cross-level that learning so you, it's quick, quick to get to. So when I explain it to people, they generally don't recognize the term, but when you say something like if you're in a large organization and people are scattered across the world, it's hard to know what anyone else has done or learned or can do. So knowledge management attempts to make that easier for people to find out what someone else has already done or a mistake that they've made that they can avoid repeating Mm -hmm. or work that they've done already they can avoid redoing. And when I explain it that way, people generally understand it makes sense to them and then they get it. In practical sense, does knowledge management automatically assume it's an enterprise-level operation? Well, it works better the larger your organization gets. It can be used at any level, including at the individual level. There's such a thing as personal knowledge management. So there's no limit that says it must be large, but you get the greatest benefit the larger the organization. In a small organization, it's easier for people to be aware of each other and what they're doing. In fact, in small organizations where everybody sits in one room, and they kind of are aware of what what's going on. They can talk to each other. As it grows and as people begin to be in different places, it gets harder to know what everybody's up to, and it gets to be very large, where an organization might have 100,000 or more people. You can almost guarantee that things are going on redundantly and people are unaware and they can't take advantage of what the organization knows and they have this size but they're not leveraging the size in fact it's becoming a problem because they're reinventing the wheel so knowledge management attempts to break that down so it works at its best in large organizations Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that it can't work in a smaller one it's just that it's going to work in a different way if you're working at a personal level you use it in a different way than you would if you're in a large organization. Well, you brought up a point that's kind of sticking in my brain right now. Is so you're, you 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 brought up the the focus point that they are aware. 
So regardless of the size, and I'll go back to your example of three or four folks sitting in the same room working on the same company or organization. Uh, Just because those folks are co-located in the same room doesn't mean they communicate well. So does that awareness fall on uh, leadership and or management to provide the a sense of the behavior expected to share because i know it's not automatic for everybody that's right you could have few people that aren't aren't communicating and therefore you'd want to do something about that it does mean a combination of the management setting the tone and leading by example Hmm. and it's also in larger organizations that have established an organizational culture that's almost independent of the leadership the leadership can change and the culture can endure and if the culture of the organization encourages people to communicate and share it's much more likely that knowledge management will go well and if the culture is one where that's not the case where they tend to keep things to themselves Mm -hmm. even if you have leadership trying to get them to share they can resist that what have you seen as the best example of an enterprise level knowledge management engagement and or operation that was that maybe was just kind of that brought the culture around do you have any good examples of that well, the, uh, the first instance that I really encountered where knowledge management was working in a way that you'd like to see it work, where it was embodied in the culture, was at Digital Equipment Corporation. I joined hmm. that company um, in 1983, and at that time, they already had rich communities of practice operating. They called them wow. Vax Notes Conferences. But it was, it was the way of work. You would be told mm-hmm. that if you had a question about something, or you needed some help, or if you had a problem to solve, you'd go to the appropriate notes conference hmm. for that topic, and you'd first read it for a little bit to see what was going on, and then you would post into there, and then people would ha- would answer you and provide help. And that was sort of built into the way that digital did things, and therefore it was much easier when later I was asked to introduce the first knowledge management program formally there, which was 15 years later, uh, or actually it was... 13 years later, the, um, the, culture, the culture was there, it was supportive, it was easier for me to get it going than if that had not been the case in other right. companies I've worked at, where that wasn't the case, it was very hard, even if you had someone saying at the top, we, we want to do this, we right. want to have knowledge management, uh, you would find that going and asking people to share, they would be wary of that, they'd be reluctant, mm-hmm. and you'd have a lot of work cut out. You could still make it better, but you know what I found is really helps is if the people at the top not only say that they want it, but that you see them actually doing it. And that, that can really help change things if they see that in, in action. So in that example of digital, was that an HR implemented thing as far as, hey, this is how we operate? Or was that just an organic way that people communicated and shared? Well, it wasn't an HR thing. I think it was more organic. Plus, I think it built on the culture of an engineering-led company. And in, the, in my experience, the engineers that I've worked with have had more of a spirit of wanting to share and learn together than perhaps other kinds of professions. Hmm. And so the fact that digital was started by engineers and always had an engineering spirit to it, I think that is the core of why they were better at knowledge sharing. And it wasn't because of HR or anyone telling them. It was sort of in their bones that right. you know, there's an engineer. When I need help, I'm going to go ask my other engineers, and they're going to help me. And that was sort of built in to how the notes conferences got going. Got it. Um, so how does that show up now? So that was a past tense. Uh, where, where do you see uh, organizations that are prime and ready for KM? Well, I think every organization is, but I think they all go through cycles. So hmm. I've seen or, uh, KM come and go in many a company, and many a times when it's 
at its best and you think it would last forever, it, it sud- suddenly is eliminated. So I would say it, it, it's, it's very transient. Uh, at any moment in time, you can go out and find companies that are doing it really well and there are people leading those efforts that are good examples that others should follow. But then just as likely you'll find out a little bit later that that person's not there anymore and that the effort that you thought was going so well isn't 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 in effect anymore or it's or it's been diminished so at the i guess if you ask the question right now you could probably go out and find a variety of companies and organizations that do knowledge management well and then you could probably see that that thing would change if you cha- checked in a year traditionally the professional services firms that been sort of the early adopters of knowledge management because knowledge is the product that they're selling. Hmm. They've probably done it the longest hmm. and have had the most investment in it and have the most people assigned to it, but that doesn't always mean that they're doing it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so number of people assigned to it doesn't equal doing it well. And in my experience, sometimes those firms don't have as much of a culture of sharing. Right. They know they have to have content that's produced and published and accessible but when you get into things like communities, they don't always get that as much because they're more stovepiped and a hierarchical structure. Right. So you go to the, some of the smaller companies where they may be more lean, they may put in new uh, collaborative tools and try them out. You, I think you can find that they can more re- readily adopt things and older established companies that are used to doing things in a certain way, it can be harder for knowledge management to catch on. Well, do you find that I'll, uh, I'll I'll throw my own bias on here? It seems to me that there's organizations that assume information science and information technology is their knowledge management. I'd say that's true, and often it's put under the purview of the IT department. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you tend to get a certain skew on what what gets done. It's usually tool focused. A typical example would be something like Microsoft SharePoint, mm-hmm. where they'd say we've got that license because we're a Microsoft shop. So let's assume that equals knowledge management. So that's how we're going to do it. And then you often need someone outside of IT to bring the other aspects of knowledge management, which are equally important, which include the people and process sides. Technology is important. You don't want to diminish it and say you don't don't need it, Mm -hmm. just that it usually gets out of balance. So you usually want a knowledge management effort that says, here's the things that we want to do to meet our business objectives. Here are the processes we need in place. Here are the people aspects that we need to reinforce. And then, to me, it's always after those two steps that you say, what technology should we use, including mm-hmm. what technology do we already have mm-hmm. that we can use to make those processes and people components work. But when you start the other direction, you usually are looking for a solution. You, know, you have a solution looking for some kind of way of implementing, and you come out and say, I want people to adopt SharePoint. And people say why, and it doesn't go well. Right. Yeah. If you're addressing the culture at the last stage, it's a little late. Right. What you brought up a term that I want to bring back uh, about personal knowledge management. Can you detail that a little more? Yeah. Personal knowledge management is how you make sense of information that's flowing at you, and it's certainly gotten more difficult over time with information overload, as as you have all the potential things that you can read and follow and listen to and watch. It's hard to know which things to focus on. Mm -hmm. So I think personal knowledge management today means having a way of making sense of all that, Mm -hmm. paying attention to things that matter the most to you that you really want to pay attention to, filtering out the other things that are potentially there to distract you, and then having a way of going back and retrieving those things that you remember reading about or, or 
storing hmm. later on when you need them. So one of the big challenges can be, yeah, I remember reading that, but I don't remember where it is now. <laughs> that yeah. never happens. I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> so a way of taking information, uh, filtering it, absorbing what's important, and then making it retrievable later, I believe that's part of it. And then another part of it is how you, sh- how you go about sharing. Hmm. If you read an interesting article and you want other people to benefit from that, how do you do that? And that's where social media has really come into play. used to be that you'd have some kind of a listserv or you'd have an email hmm. distribution list. You might send them a note and say, I just read this article. I think you'll find it useful. And that would be limited by you know, which group you're in or which people were on your distribution list. And you might not reach all the people hmm. who could benefit from some of your personal knowledge. But now in the era social media, it's possible to post things in social media tools like Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And lots of people, including people you don't know, can then consume that information. So that's the other side of personal knowledge management is once you've learned something useful, how do you share that with other people? And the most effective people at personal knowledge management not only are good at learning and consuming, they're really good about sharing right. and getting other people to benefit. Where is that taught? Where's personal knowledge management experienced and and perfected? Where's that mentorship program? Well, I don't think there is one that I'm aware of. There are some people that have written uh, really good things about it, and Mm -hmm. I've written an article about personal knowledge management that brings in the work of Harold Jarkey and others that have have done a lot of uh, thinking and writing about it and coming up with models for it. But Mm -hmm. in case of knowledge management in general, there isn't all that much that's taught about it. And Mm -hmm. certainly I don't think personal knowledge management is surface as a topic anywhere. So I think learning more about it usually depends on things like reading, following people online, attending certain conferences. There are some training classes that people can go to that are about knowledge management. Uh, There probably could be more. And in the academic field, there's a few programs at the graduate level Mm -hmm. that that provide some instruction on that, but not as much about it as you might think for a field that's been around now for over 20 years. Well, and that's, that's, uh, brings up a good point that, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I see where the need is not just at the graduate level. You know, I, I'm thinking back to undergraduate and that whole like speech 101 and, you know, just basic, uh, pieces that help in any, uh, domain you go into education wise. And I could see where a, a KM 101 kind of thing would be just available for any undergrad, because I see that, that, you know, we're at the age where we've seen, what it was like before, the mediums that we had access to and the limitations that have just been blown out of the water uh, and the availability of uh, not just the the volume, but the frequency now of different inputs that we have. So it almost begs the question, why are we not looking at, just like people look at wealth management and, and planning and estate planning, where's your data and knowledge management plan for your you know, check out time uh, to, to start looking at it as an asset for the family. Yes, and, and you bring up a good point about finance. Finance is something that just about everyone needs more instruction about, but often is not provided to them. And often it could be earlier, even in high school, hmm. would be a good time for people to start learning about personal finance and how to be a good consumer. These are basic life skills. And I think that knowledge management would be a similar topic hmm. that if you could teach People, even at younger ages, how do you deal with all the information that's coming at you? How do you sort out useful information from 
bad information in an era now where we're even having trouble sorting out truth from from fiction and false news from real news um this is part of the whole picture mm-hmm. how do you help people to say here's how i can validate a piece of information to see if it's in fact valid and right. true and how do i make sure that what i'm reading is in fact correct versus i'm getting ideas that are actually not based on, on fact so right i would i would think it would make sense to to, along with things like personal finance and other life skills to help people starting in high school and then, in, as you mentioned, in undergraduate courses, so that as they go through their four years of undergraduate, it'd be nice to start out with, here's a good way for you to process information as you take your, your courses of the next four years. Mm-hmm. I, I see that as a definite need um, because it's just going to get more complicated as as new technologies and augmented reality takes over and all these different parts and pieces expand and really change all behaviors of how we communicate continually, uh, it's just going to become more important. You know, people often uh, will say that they don't like social media or they don't use it, and some people who are, are older have resisted it. They'll say, I don't do Facebook, or I don't <laughs> do LinkedIn, or right. I don't do Twitter. And I always have a conversation with them where I say, well, I can understand your attitude, but I also think you're missing out on some positive benefits mm-hmm. that you could achieve with that and being able to network with people and connect to people is a very powerful capability don't, don't they have, don't they have a name that. don't they have a name for those folks aren't they the luddites or, <laughs> the luddites, luddites? Yeah. yes 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 <laughs> but they're often there's another aspect of this which is where people say well i'm on facebook but i don't ever post or that someone yeah. will complain about someone else that way and i say that's not really unusual and that's not even a bad thing. You know, if everybody was posting all the time, we'd have a pretty high level of noise. <laughs> so we need people to actually not be posting, but be reading and thinking and absorbing. And and we found through studies and through history that almost 90% of people don't generally post much, mm-hmm. but they're but they're paying attention. And mm-hmm. to me, that's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You want people to benefit from what other people are doing, but you don't want necessarily everybody to be talking at once. Where where do you fit in now in this whole CAM world? What what have you been up to? Well, I worked in the field for uh, 20 years as formally doing knowledge management, and then last year I retired. So I've been working at Deloitte in, in, in the field of communities and enterprise social networks. And since then, I'm not working for a company any longer, but I'm still active in the field. And uh, putting most of my emphasis on writing and speaking and occasionally advising companies. And I find that by writing, I really keep my involvement in the field up. I uh, challenge myself in terms of what to write about Mm -hmm. and also respond to questions that I receive. And I found that a tool like Quora, which is a, a site where you can answer questions it's a really useful way for me to stay engaged with the field. Hmm. It's, it's stimulating to me because I have to think about when the question is asked, can I answer this question with something that I previously wrote, which would be reuse, right. or do I have to write something new? And often it will serve as a stimulus to write something new. Can you spell that out? What's Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, Quora.com. Huh. So right. It's a question and answer site, and it's just about any topic, and you register essentially the topics that you're uh, knowledgeable about, mm-hmm. and then you can receive notifications that a question has been asked, mm-hmm. or in fact, someone can specifically request that you answer it. So as people follow you on Quora, they may say, oh, here's a question about knowledge management. I'm going to ask Edwin to answer the question, mm-hmm. and then you'll get a notification. And And when I get those 
kind of notification. Sometimes they're questions that I can't really answer or they're not well formulated, but other times they're questions that I could answer by pointing them to an article that I had right. previously written. And then the ones that are most interesting are the ones that ask a question that you think you probably had wrote, written something about, but it turns out you hadn't. And that's good stimulus for new articles. So one of those recently was, was what are the fundamental principles of knowledge management hmm. or what are the key issues in knowledge management? I, feel, I felt like I must have written something about that, but then when I thought about it, I realized I hadn't really specifically addressed that question, so I wrote a new article in which I reused some of the previous mm -hmm. material. But that's, to me, that's really a good uh, part of you know, how do you decide what to write about. So I write an article on LinkedIn once a week and publish that, and I go back and link to previous articles through Twitter and LinkedIn and and that way, I keep engaging with people. I get new questions. I get new comments. So to me, sure. writing has proved to be a, a really good way to, to continue to be involved in the field as I as I uh, move on. So how else do you interface the public? So you've you've you're, you've got this distribution. You're putting out content. You're creating original content, and you're helping to facilitate understanding aspects of knowledge management. If someone's listening and they say, "Well, how do I find anything going on in my local area?" What would you suggest to them? I maintain a site that you can find by Googling me. It's a uh, Google site. If you just Google my name, Stan Garfield, you should find the site. And uh, on there, you'll find lists that include all the re resources that I've been able to compile over the years on knowledge management, including things like communities for knowledge management. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you wanted to find out what was going on locally, one way is to find a local knowledge management community to join and attend and meet fellow knowledge management professionals in your area. I also lead a community that's global in scope called the SIKM Leaders Community. You can find the link to that also on my website. Could you, could that you, community, could you spell out that acronym, please? Yeah, S-I-K-M. As far as what it means? Leaders. It, uh, it originally stood for Systems Integrators but it just become a name that's divorced from its letters now. So it's <laughs> just the name of the community people. Okay. Just call it SIKM or SICKM. Sure. <laughs> it originally originated with a community we formed in 2005 that was originally for people in the field of systems integration and mm -hmm. consulting, but we opened it up to everyone in the field. Hmm. Anyone who's interested in knowledge management is welcome to join. We have a monthly call, and we have an online discussion. Those are the two main elements of the community, and it's been around now for over 12 years, and we encourage people to join that. And that's a good way of connecting with other mm -hmm. knowledge management professionals. And one of the guarantees I make to people is if you join the community and if you ask a question in its discussion group, you will get answers from the members, and those answers tend to be helpful answers. So mm -hmm. if you have any question or you're running into something that you haven't seen before, chances are one of the members has seen it before and sure. will have some, some good advice for you on that. So those are some ways, but the resources include websites and periodicals and blogs and people who tweet and communities and uh, it's really a good resource it's got a long list of books so if someone who wants to learn more they can go to that website okay. find that information and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be busy following up on all that <laughs> you're doing that personal knowledge management it is so i'm doing it for my own benefit <laughs> but then everyone else can benefit at the same time <laughs> So before we wrap up here, I wanted to touch in with your latest publication. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yes, yeah, thanks for asking about that. Um, my second book that I published has just come out. It's called Proven Practices for Promoting a Knowledge Management Program. It's currently available on Kindle version, and the print version will be available soon. I have the advanced print copy in my hands now and should come out shortly. But the book is a uh, 
attempt to answer the question, how do you go about selling knowledge management within your organization? Mm-hmm. It's often a challenge. You may have uh, the, the vision and the passion for doing knowledge management that isn't necessarily widely shared yet in your organization. And this book attempts to tell you how you can go about getting other people to see the value of it, convincing them to make the investments necessary mm-hmm. to do knowledge management. So it builds on the experience I've had in leading knowledge management programs at multiple companies and what I've had to go through to get people to uh, accept that we need to do it, to uh, support it, to lead by example, to fund it, you know, to do the mm-hmm. kinds of things that you need from the leadership of an organization, and also how you work with the rest of the organization. How do you work with the other departments, right. the IT department, the HR department? What do you need from them? And how do you go about getting people on board, people right. to become your champions and sign up for and use the things that you want them to do? So it's, it, it really looks at all the aspects of selling both above and below and within and without, and mm-hmm. hopefully if people uh, read it and take some of its advice to heart, they'll have success in getting knowledge management to be uh, done better at their respective organizations. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a very timely publication. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. I, I was just uh, ex- presented with the, uh, the health sciences uh, industry recently in Boston, and I was surprised by their interpretation of what knowledge management was. Uh, with the fo- It seemed to be mostly focused on information science and information technology, not so much anything enterprise, uh, which I found uh, to be a little odd for the type of work they do. But uh, in, in talking with folks on the sidelines, it was very much the, the desire for knowledge management on a very much uh, enterprise level was, oh, you know, the awareness was there. Yeah, we need to do this, but they just could not get it the stick. They could not get it anybody at the top to say, yeah, let's do that. Well, this book should help with that, but as I mentioned, it's an ongoing challenge, and even after you think you've had success, it's possible that you have to keep selling because the players change, the conditions right. change. Uh, in times of economic downturn, knowledge management is often a target because the leadership will think, well, we can do without it, mm-hmm. so we'll cut it. And then, of course, they, they learn later that they can't do without it, so they have to start it up again. And they've, meanwhile, lost an awful lot of momentum uh, while they killed right. it and then have right. to reestablish it. So do you, would you say then the, the 70% uh, success factor is charismatic leadership? I think... Leadership by example is probably the number one success factor. Hmm. If you think about a company like Buckman Laboratories, where Bob Buckman was personally committed to knowledge management, and he would go around to desks in the company and leave a handwritten note on them that would say, how have you shared your knowledge today? Oh, my. In a company like that, knowledge management is going to be thriving. (laughs) And if you flip that around, if you have an organization where the top leader says that they want to do knowledge management, but then they don't really do much of it themselves. They don't really talk about it much, mm-hmm. don't expect it, don't do any of it themselves. All the efforts by people like you and me to try to get the company to do it can have some success, but right. it'll be limited. Very but limited. if you have that top executive saying, not only do I want this, but I'm going to do some of this myself. I'm going to answer questions. I'm going to post questions. I'm right. going to praise people in our enterprise social network. You're going to be engaged, people, right? You're going to be yeah, engaged. They, yeah. yeah. So I'd say that's that's number one. Okay. If you get the leader doing that, you're going to have success, even if the culture wasn't one that was conducive. The culture will start to change. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that, you can still do it. It's just harder, and you'll have less success sure. than if your top leaders are really uh, leading by example. So in order to wrap up our wonderful conversation, I'm going to leave it to you and, and ask, what would you want to leave the room with? What's your last thing you want people to resonate with? What would that be? 
I think I found that one of the big challenges is that people become reluctant to to do anything openly in public. You can set up the greatest knowledge sharing system. You can have leadership support. You can have the, all the programs and infrastructure in place. If individuals are scared to ask a question in the open, mm-hmm. if they're reluctant to speak up, if they're afraid that they'll be shown to be ignorant or made fun of or criticized, your knowledge management effort won't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think starting with that and understanding what is it that we're doing to either encourage or discourage people from asking their questions or mm-hmm. sharing in public, that's a real critical success factor that's often overlooked. So even if the executive is doing the things I mentioned, you want to go one step further for that. And you want to make sure that people feel safe and that people are recognized and rewarded for doing those things that you want them to do. So the other people then will see that and follow that lead. So if you recognize someone who asks a question in public by saying, thank you for asking that question in public, we appreciate that, mm-hmm. here's your answer. And then on top of that, let's say a senior leader says, same thing, thank you, mm-hmm. I want to praise you for doing that. Mm-hmm. And then the person who comes along and answers the question, thank and praise them. If this right. gets repeated over and over enough, people see that this behavior is not only tolerated, but encouraged and rewarded, then you'll be able to get people to be re- less reluctant to speak up. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, then you'll find that even if you have the best processes and tools in place, if no one says anything, you don't have knowledge management. One of the terms that I like to uh, sort of repeat is knowledge management doesn't happen until somebody reuses something. So you can have the best stuff in place. You've got to have someone who comes along and shares and someone else comes along and responds or someone who asks and someone else who answers. And if you don't have that happening, you don't have knowledge management. But if I can get people to ask, that's the first step then I can get other people to answer. That's the second step. And then the third step is to recognize both the person who asked and the person who answered so that they feel that it was worth it. Right. And then you'll repeat. And that's that's what I'd say. I'd, I'd leave you with that. Well, that's awesome advice. I totally appreciate the time you've, you've given us today. I appreciate you. Thank you. You're welcome. This program, Because You Need to Know, brings people and their knowledge forward to be shared. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit, tax-exempt organization with a charitable purpose. Help us provide knowledge work at www.pioneer-ks.org.